Well, good morning, church. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving. So we are to continue to give thanks, right? It's not just one day. It's thanks living, not Thanksgiving, right? We'll be looking at this passage here in a moment. There was a preacher who was fresh out of seminary, and he had just, uh, be- just began his very first sermon. He was a little nervous, and but all was going fine until 10 minutes into the message, his mind went totally blank. He remembered what he was taught in seminary about what he could do if that were to happen. If that situation were to arise, he was taught to repeat his last sentence, and often that would help you remember what was coming next. So he thought he'd give it a try, and the last thing he said was from the book of Revelation, in Jesus' words, behold, I come quickly. So he blurted out, behold, I come quickly. Still, his mind was blank, so he tried again. Behold, I come quickly. Still, nothing. And so he tried it one more time. Behold, I come quickly. And this time, he said it with such force that he fell forward, knocking the pulpit to one side, tripping over a flower pot, and falling into the lap of a little old lady in the front row. Well, he, he, he was all nervous and just kind of apologized to the, to the lady and tried to explain what happened. Well, that's all right, young man, said the old lady. It was my fault. I should have gotten out of the way. You told me three times you were coming. <laughs> well, Jesus Christ is coming. And we've been told that more than three times in the Bible. All the major events in God's plan of salvation have occurred. The only event left is for Christ to return. Ready or not, Jesus is coming. And Peter uses that reality to give some very practical instructions on how we are to live and so if you're not there, I, I invite you to turn in your Bibles or whatever you use here to First uh, Peter chapter 4. First Peter chapter 4 as you follow along as we look at this section this morning in verses 7 through 11. And we continue in our sermon series on living on hope. Living on hope. Now, if you've been with us, you know that a reoccurring theme in this letter is that we are to live in such a way that, that makes our evangelism, our witnessing, believable, credible. And in a world that seems to be spinning out of control, can be downright maddening at times, and that may even hate us, how are we to live? That's been on the mind of Peter. And so these words from the pen of Peter, of course, under the superintending of God, are timely for us and the times we live. Listen, we do not have to thrash about when things aren't fair. We do not have to thrash about where we see uh, injustices. But let's see the world through the lens of future judgments. All right, if you're in 1 Peter uh, chapter 4, uh, let your eyes go down to the beginning of verse 7. We're just going to read that first sentence there. Uh, and it says here, 4-7, the end of all things is near. And you go, well, well, wait a minute, Peter. Here we are 2,000 years later, and it hasn't happened yet. In what sense can this statement be true? I mean, how is the end near? 
Well, this period referred to uh, as the end began with the first coming of Christ as we're celebrating uh, this time of year. And it was at that that moment of Jesus' first coming that then ushered in the last days. He came the first time to put away sins, to pay the penalty for our sins. The, The next time he comes, it will be to establish his kingdom for those who belong to him. The next time he comes, he will come as judge. And so the phrase here, the end of all things is near, looks forward to the next big event, Christ's return. And folks, it can happen at any moment. It can happen suddenly. The language of Christ's imminence, meaning that Christ can come at any time, is what we see here. He can come soon. Now, you might recall in Voyage of the, of the Dawn Treader by C.S. Lewis, which is part of the Chronicles of Narnia. You remember this conversation, perhaps, between Lucy and Aslan. And Aslan's the lion uh, in that, who's the Christ figure in the story. And Aslan says to Lucy, don't, don't look so sad. We shall meet soon again. Oh, please, Aslan, said Lucy, what do you call soon? I call all times soon, said Aslan, and instantly he has vanished away. Soon. He could come at any moment. We're to live with that, that sense of urgency and expectation. That anticipated event is to be motivation for us, really, to be ready at all times. It's to live as though Christ may come before worship is over today, yet plan for the possibility that it could be long after you've passed away. The motto of the Revolutionary War Minutemen was trust in God, but keep your powder dry. In other words, live in hope of his return, but work until he comes. So what's the word for us this morning? It's simply this. Live well in the time we have. Live well in the time we have. That's really the bottom line for this morning. Live well in the time we have. And then Peter now is going to give us four practical ways we do that. Four practical ways in which we live well in the time we have. The first one is, the first practical way is to think clearly. Think clearly. Now we're going to pick it up in verse 7 here in a moment. But before we do, I want to go back to verse 3 for a second here. in First Peter chapter 4 verse 3. We looked at it last week. I just want us to catch the flow of thought here. Verse 3. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery and living uh, in lust, living in drunkenness, living orgies and carousing and detestable idolatry. The current of this day is you only live once, so you might as well what? Live it up. But notice, notice verse 5. Also we looked at last week. This is what they haven't thought about. But they, meaning those who just live for today, they will have to give an account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. Ready or not, God will judge. And on that note, Peter then adds, verse 7, now the end of all things is near. And I can't help but think, when I, when I see that phrase, I can't help but think of the, of the shabby-looking man with a long beard standing on the street corner holding the sign, the end is at hand. It's the kind of guy you don't want to get eye contact with, right? You, I used to see it all the time in Portland. You walk through it. End is at hand. And that's kind of what I picture here. Is, is that what we're to do? Because he's coming soon, go and hold a sign? 
No, Peter goes on to say, therefore, rest of verse 7 now, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Now, I kind of see this as, as kind of like a, a five-minute warning that parents give their kids to prepare them. Time is up for play here in five minutes, right? We, we practice that with our kids, especially at a younger age. And invariably, what would happen it, it, when you gave your child that five minutes, knowing they only had five minutes left to play, they would try to get the most out of those five minutes, right? They're going to get their last toy. They're going to go on that slide of the playground one more time or, or, or McDonald's play area. It meant they were going to do that one more time, even if it meant trampling all the other kids to get there. They have five minutes. The end is near. We've been given a five-minute warning. Now, it's not intended for us to go berserk and cram everything in with the time left, but to think clearly to make the most of the time. It's to have a a, a clear head about the issues. It's to have a, a sensibility that allows us to evaluate things and then respond appropriately. Think clearly about what really matters. Now, consider the Floridians who had to brace for two hurricanes recently. I won't say anything about Hurricane Nicole. We'll just move right along here. But as they were warned, as they were warned that a hurricane was imminent, that it was near, right? I doubt they responded to that warning by setting up croquet in their backyard so they're going to play a game of croquet. Or inviting all their friends over for a barbecue. Right? No, they didn't do that. They protected their essentials. They took cover. Ready or not, the storm may hit. Be prepared as best you can. Sense of urgency compelled them to prioritize and to take action. Now, in the case of the impending crisis, like a hurricane, there is panic. But church, there's no need for panic. Pastor Brian, there's no need for panic. I mean, but, but there ought to be a greater sense of urgency. Do you see a lot of panic Christians running around right now? I do. Look in the mirror. If there was ever a time, listen, if there's ever a time we need to be more clear-headed, it's right now in the world in which we live. It is. Because the great struggle for the church right now is to get distracted The great struggle for the church right now is to get sucked into all these ideologies. No, 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 no. No, no, back up. Think clearly. Think clearly. And when we see the ridiculousness of this culture and and, and the insanity of political correctness, the stuff that just breaks our hearts, we need to go somewhere with that. Where, where should we go with that frustration, sometimes just, just anger, if not rage? What does Peter say? Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled. Don't miss this. So that, purpose statement, so that you can pray. Peter says, keep your head in it, believer, so that you can pray effectively. So when a crisis hits, when someone is elected we don't like, The news gets more and more troubling. Take it to Jesus. Not your Instagram. Not your Facebook account. Not any other social media platform you use. No, no, no. Don't panic. Pray. Don't react. Trust. Don't get sucked into the ideology. Get on our knees. 
Are you pleading? Are you pleading with God for renewal? For revival? For awakening of the church? Are we spending as much time in prayer as we are Googling this story and that story? It's been noted that one of the schemes of the evil one right now is to get us to hate those we should be praying for. Guilty. I was listening to a preacher this past week and he gave me something really to think about that if, that if I lived at the time of Saul of Tarsus, Okay, in the book of Acts, Saul of Tarsus, who was persecuting the church, he was publicly shaming Christians. If I lived in that time of Saul of Tarsus, that man who was a madman, would I have been praying for his conversion? Or would I have had so much hatred in my heart and my mind being so encumbered with what I wish would happen to him that I could not pray? And Saul, you know, he became Paul the Apostle, one of the greatest missionaries the world ever has known, a great missionary messenger of the gospel. He was transformed by the gospel we've staked our life upon. Live on hope. Live on the power of the gospel and what it can do in someone's life. Church, let's keep our heads in it. Time is short. Let's live well in the time we have. Well, the second way we live well in the time we have is to love deeply, to love deeply. Now, as we come to verses 8 through 11 here, Peter, in essence, says that to to, um, live well in the time we have, we must do this together. We see the phrase each other, verse 8, one another, verse 9, each of you, verse 10. He's saying, in light of the times in which we live, we need togetherness. He's talking 8 through 11. This is life in the church here. And so he starts with verse 8 by saying, above all, love each other deeply. Above all, above, you know, you know there are a variety of, of worship styles and, and there are all kinds of, of ways we can organize church. There are endless programs to choose that from. But above all, love each other deeply. That's in the NIV and, and some translation says fervently. It literally means uh, stretched out. All right, so picture this then. A runner a runner at the end of the race, stretching out as far as he could, lunging forward in order to be the first to break the tape at the finish line. He's lunging forward like that, right? That's what they do. Stretched out. Oh, when he used to go to the track meet, the ones who do the long jump, right? They do the same thing. That with great intensity, they would throw their feet forward and they stretch every muscle of their body to go as far as they can. Stretched out. Or, or maybe picture an outfielder stretching out to catch that fly ball. That's the picture. Strain to get it. It's to stretch out. How? In our love for others. Are you being stretched right now in your love for someone? Has the demand someone's placing on you exceeding your limits? Loving others as we ought to will stretch us. It will. It will be painful at times. But don't we need this place right here to be a safe haven more than ever. We, we can come into this room at times pretty beat up. And church, in a world that can be such a cold place, and Scripture tells us it's only going to get colder, we need the warmth of love, acceptance, and safety. Frankly, 
We need to wake up to the polarization that has crept into the church. We need to. It, it's, it, it's playing into the hands of the enemy. Let's live well in the time we have. Let's want, love one another deeply. We need to find a love here that puts others first and exceeds beyond what we can even humanly do. Matt Chandler put it this way. He said, your love for other Christians is not based on their likability, but in your shared experience of redemption and sanctification. You hear what it's saying, right? When we act as if we have far more in common with other believers than what divides us, we will feel and see love and action in greater ways at Living Hope. But remember this. As believers who are all growing in our sanctification, we are at different places in that process. Let's see people where they are at and not where we would like them to be. For some, there is so much junk in their past and so much baggage in their lives that it may take them longer to get where you are where it didn't take you as long to get there. It may take them longer to get there. My point is, be gracious to those who aren't as far along as you. See them where they're at and love them there. Not wait till they get to where you want them. It's safe to say, it's safe to say that if you aren't being stretched at all in your love, then it just might be because you are only with those you like. Again, Peter's a realist, right? He knows what's going to happen. We dare to love this way. What's going to happen when we get up close? As someone described it, like, like porcupines on a cold, wintry night that need each other to keep warm, what else will happen? They will needle each other. We need each other, and we will needle each other. We will. Here's the thing. As we do this living well together, you will be offended at some point. Bank on it. Bank on it. I will offend you if I haven't already. I don't mean just today. Hopefully I haven't done that quite yet today. And you may find this hard to believe. You might do something that will offend me. We will offend each other. Not an excuse saying it will happen. Sin demands that we love each other. And as Peter says here, it is a love that what? The end of verse 7. It covers over a multitude of sins. Now that covering, by the way, is not speaking to sweeping sins under the rug in order to ignore the reality of it. That's not what it's saying. It's not suggesting we condone sinful behavior or that we never confront sin I mean, that's what we like to do with this. We like to complicate it. If I can complicate it, then I probably don't have to do it. Let me find the loophole. Doesn't mean, oh, it doesn't mean this, right? Be careful there. We can't miss the force of these words. As we go deeper into community, we will hurt each other. We will discover that people aren't always easy to love, that you will be sinned against and offended by others, and you'll offend them. Love helps us forgive the person who made that insensitive remark about us around others. Love covers over someone else's pickiness. Love covers over that negativity. Love covers over that comment that begins with, no offense, but. I love when people say that to me because they're now going to offend me. No, but I said no offense. As if that covers it all. 
See, it may require when that happens that you share your hurt with that person, but it may not. There was, a, there was this brother in Portland who felt the need to confront everything that offended him. Every time. Some offended him, he's going to go, most of the time it seemed to be me. And frankly, it was rather exhausting. It was exhausting. See, whether or not the offense demands you go to the other person, not either way, love will allow you to forgive. And a lack of love, the inability, inability to cover that offense, is going to leave you doing what? Viewing uh, every word that person speaks with suspicion. Oh, what do you mean by that? It's because you haven't covered it. Any offense right now needs to be covered. I mean, just look in the mirror here. I have to. Don't let that offense linger in your heart. Snuff it out. Example. If someone was caught on fire and you threw a blanket on them, the hope would be for it to choke the air out and put the fire out. Take the air away and the blaze settles down, right? Oxygen keeps the fire going. Love covers over a multitude of sins. In other words, may nothing be allowed to breathe for long. Put out the fire. Don't give it more oxygen. Don't fan the flame because of unforgiveness. You show me someone who refuses to forgive, and I'll show you someone who isn't living well. They're probably miserable. I mean, why? Why waste our days with unforgiveness? Why waste our days in self-pity and bitterness and resentment and anger or inflicting harm on others because we're, we're so angry? And everyone kind of tiptoes around us because they don't want to step on that eggshell. Don't live like that with each other. Time is short. Let's be known as one who loved others. Not long before his death, the story is told about Martin Luther King Jr., who spoke to the congregation at Atlanta's uh, Ebenezer Baptist Church. And he said this. He said, if any of you are around when I have to meet my day, meaning I die, I don't want a long funeral. And if you get somebody to deliver the eulogy, tell them not to talk too long. Every now and then, he says, I wonder what I want them to say. Tell them not to mention that I have a Nobel Peace Prize. That isn't important. Tell them not to mention that I have other, uh, other awards. It's not important. Tell them not to mention where I went to school. No, no, no. I'd like somebody to mention that day that Martin Luther King Jr. tried to love somebody. All that he had done. And he wants to be remembered by his love. Do I? Well, I need to move on. Peter does too. He goes to give you one other practical way. One practical way we can show that love is practice hospitality. And so the third way to live well in the time we have is welcome cheerfully. Welcome cheerfully is how I'm translating practice hospitality. Welcome cheerfully. Verse 9. Follow along. You're going to love this, especially the end. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Do you ever come to verses and go, oh man, I wish he didn't say that? There was a family who opened their home to some guests for dinner. And the mom, as they were getting ready to eat, asked the young daughter to pray for the meal. Well, the little girl replied, but mom, I, I really don't know what to say. And mom gently answered, honey, just say what you hear your mommy say. <laughs> the girl bowed her head and prayed, dear Lord, why did I ever invite these people over? <laughs> Watch it. 
watch it, your grumbling might rub off on someone else, right? You know, they're not listening, they're listening. We may think our complaining is harmless and doesn't hurt anyone else, but, but, but think again. It's contagious, actually. Harms a community, has a rippling effect on those it touches. But as you open up your life to another, and you open up your home to others, don't resent the time or the expense that's involved. Don't grumble about it, he says. Instead, we are to welcome cheerfully. Practice hospitality. What does hospitality look like? Does it mean we must put on this fantastic spread? Does it mean we must have this long dining room table and a spotless house, room beautifully decorated with candles and soft music playing in the background? Does it mean I must go out and take some cooking classes and only serve a delicious meal? I mean, if that's your thing, knock yourself out. That's fine. Nothing wrong with that. But practicing hospitality has more to do with being welcoming than being Martha Stewart. It isn't about the large dining room table or or picture-perfect hospitality. It's about welcoming others into your life. Gives us permission, doesn't it? Doesn't it not to, to kind of be the person God's made us to be and still invite others into our lives? It, it kind of frees us up from the comparison trap. We don't have to do it like so-and-so. All right, here are some things we need to do if we had to practice hospitality. They're pretty straightforward. Got to give them to you quickly. First of all, if we're going to welcome cheerfully, practice hospitality, first of all, we'll have to engage with others, not withdraw. Seems obvious. Seems obvious. We engage rather than withdraw. Secondly, though, it means we are proactive and not waiting for others to invite us over, but take the first step ourselves. I mean, if I had, if I had, if I had a nickel for every time I heard someone say, oh, no one's ever invited me over. What do you think I say to that? <laughs> Have you invited them over? Be proactive. Don't wait. Fight other people. Take the step yourself. Thirdly, it's going to mean we make some space in our lives to have people over. Just be honest. Be practical. Welcome cheerfully. And the more you open up your heart to others, the more you let other people into your life and into your home, the greater the risk for disappointment, people being maybe even ungrateful, and that they may not even reciprocate. They may not. Put that out somewhere. Don't do it for that reason. You might be disappointed and you're going to become sour. There was, a, there was a farmer who was working in his field when this new family moved into the community and they, and they stopped and they asked the farmer if this community was friendly. And the farmer replied, well, let me ask you, what was the community like that you just came from? And the newcomer answered, well, it was terrible. The people were rude, they were small-minded, and they were very, very unfriendly. And the farmer replied, well, then, that's just how you're going to find this community to be. Right? We bring it over. Don't let something bad that's happened to you, especially in relationships, sour you. Why not? One reason, just shouldn't do it. Other reason, you're going to carry that over into the next church, into the next relationship, into the next community. Right? You will. If it was over like that over there, maybe it's going to be like that here because that's your mindset going in. All right. How can we be more welcoming? All right? Work that out. I need to go to this last one. I live well on the time we have. 
Think clearly, love deeply, welcome cheerfully. Lastly, lastly, serve faithfully. Serve faithfully. And if you're keeping track, and I know that you're not, I'm not going to spend as much time on this one, okay? Just, you know, if you think it's, it all evens out, it doesn't. Verse 10, verse 10, follow along with me, verse 10. Each one to use whatever gift he has to re- receive to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Now, this suggests many things, but one thing it suggests that every person in the community of believers has been given a gift to use in the church. Do you know what your gift is? And no, sarcasm is not one of the gifts, okay? I mean, I was disappointed too. I know, Mark. Work that one out. God gave you a second one. But here's the truth. You've been given a gift. You've been given a gift. Now, we offer a workshop each year to help you discern that gift that God's given you. Yep, that might be helpful. I would encourage you to go there. But whatever, find what your gift is. But the second question here is, are you using it? Where can you plug into the church and serve others? Time is short. Get involved. It's been said, God can do great things through you, but you got to get off the couch. And notice the purpose of the gift. It says here, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. It's to be used, what? For others. He then gives two categories of gifts here in verse 11. Those with speaking gifts, those with serving gifts. And there's really no need to take time on this this morning, kind of parsing that out. Because I believe the point to be made here simply is this, serve faithfully. If it's up front, serve faithfully. If it's behind the scenes, helping, serve faithfully. Whatever it is, serve faithfully. You see, the calling of God is not to something epic. It's to be faithful where you're at. Don't overthink this. Live well in the time you have by serving faithfully. What's the key to all this? All right, master of obvious here, begin. Begin. Someone wrote these words. I spent a fortune on a trampoline, a stationary bike, and a rowing machine, complete with gadgets to read my pulse and gadgets to prove my progress results, and others to show the miles I have charted, but they left off the gadget to get me started. (laughs) Right? We know that feeling. All right? In this case here, start where you are. Start where you are. We spend so much time worrying about what we're going to do, we miss out what we should be doing now. What are we going to do with today? We need to stop saying when. When I graduate, when I get married, when I am old, when I retire, when this happens, when my circumstances change, when, when, when. What's your when? Let's turn our when into now. Now, let me be clear. Let me be clear. There are different seasons of life that can limit your involvement, okay? There are different seasons in life that can limit your involvement. I want to respect that. I get that. Living well in the time you have is something you have to work out. I don't know the specifics of that for you, but I do know this. Be faithful where you are and then work out from there. Be faithful in your marriage. Be faithful uh, to your kids. Be faithful to your friends. Be faithful in the little things. Be faithful to follow through on your word. Be faithful at work. Be faithful where you are. So what's the step of faithfulness right now for you? What is it 
not going to be the same for me. What is it for you? For there will be a day when we will give an account of what we did with what we have been given. Ready or not, live well in the time we have. While on South Pole Expedition, British explorer Ernest Shackleton left a few men on Elephant Island. And he said to them as he was leaving, he said as he left them there, I will return to get you. I will return to get you. And later when Shackleton tried to return, each time huge icebergs blocked his way and he wasn't able to get to them for a length of time. But after several attempts, a way was opened up in the ice and and Shackleton was able to finally get to his men on the island. His men were ready and waiting. They quickly scrambled and they got on board. And no, no sooner had the ship cleared the island when the ice crashed together behind them. Contemplating their narrow escape, Shackleton said his men to his men, it was fortunate you were all packed and ready to go. And they replied, oh, we never gave up hope. Whenever the sea was clear of ice, we rolled up our sleeping bags and reminded each other, the boss may come today. The boss may come today. Ready or not, Jesus is coming. May the Lord find you, may the Lord find me faithful. Let's live well in the time that we have, church. Let's live well. Let's pray. God, as usual, we look to you for the specifics. Certainly been applications here to grab a hold of have been my life what it looks like in each one of our lives. It's not going to be identical to everybody else in the room. But we've got to answer some questions here, some very hard questions, because we're, we're, we're getting easily distracted right now. I say we. We're chasing other things that really is not kingdom business at all. So God, help us to be about kingdom business. Help us to be doing what you've called us to do and to be faithful in those areas until you come or you call us home. All to your glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.